Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. I know a lot of you have already jumped in on the action with my bookie this football season, and I've heard a lot of great things from all of you guys out there. So for you guys who have been on the fence, who weren't quite sure whether you want to jump in on the action with my bookie or not, now is the time. Bowl season's in full swing. We had some great games this past weekend. The games are only going to get better from here. So make sure to jump in on it today. Go to mybookie.ag. Use promo code UGA to get your initial deposit matched in cash up to two. $100. Guys, again, it's that simple. Go to mybookie.ag, use that promo code UGA so you can start betting anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and I am very excited to have my longtime co-host, Curtis, back with me today after missing it last week. And today we are doing something that we have not done since the middle of the summer, and that is dedicate an entire episode to Georgia football recruiting. You know, from late July through August, that's that's when we kind of turn our attention fully towards previewing the upcoming season because it's right there on our doorstep and that's where everyone's attention is. And then obviously, of course, during the season itself, we are very busy recapping, previewing, and giving guys picks and we just don't have really any time to talk very much recruiting. Maybe we get a random recruiting question on a mailback episode here and there, but we kind of put it on the back burner for a couple of months during the football season. We never turn that flame fully off because, I mean, after all, recruiting is the lifeblood of any college program. We know that. But now with the Peach Bowl still a couple of weeks away, it's inching closer and closer. We're still a couple of weeks off from that. And with the early signing period opening on Wednesday, we figure that now was the time to put recruiting back on the front burner, at least here for a couple of days. So we put our heads together. Curtis and I were trying to decide the best way to preview the early signing period. And we figured, seeing how this is a show by, for, and of the people, we figured the best way to go about it was to put it on you guys and let your questions guide us today on this signing day preview episode. And sure enough, just as we expected, you answered the bell with a ton of great questions because that's just what you guys always do. So, Curtis, let's go ahead, man. Let's open this thing up. And, you know, after building all of that up about recruiting... We are actually going to open with one non-recruiting question because it's very topical and we did get, oh, I don't know, about a thousand different questions about it over the past week. But after this one, I do promise 
It's all recruiting. But we have to start here, Curtis, because this was the news of last week. This is what got Georgia Twitter, Georgia social media all up in arms last week. And you and I, you know, we talked about it off the air. We were very much uh, up in arms about this as well. But Jonathan, we got, again, we got a ton of questions about this one. The first one I saw, I think, was from Jonathan. So we're going to go with Jonathan's question here. But Jonathan asked, have you ever heard anything about character concerns with Jalen Carter? I'm curious if he has any legal recourse. Now, of course, I'm sure all of you out there are well aware of what was going down last week, but just in case some of you were like, I don't know, out of the country and were away from Wi-Fi and had no idea what was going on in the world of Georgia football, Todd McShay, uh, one of ESPN's top two draft analysts, was on, I think it was with Mel Kuyper at some point last week on ESPN's Airwaves, and he was talking about the top guys in the draft, Jalen Carter's name was brought up, and he, out of nowhere, calls Jalen Carter out and brings up the idea of quote-unquote character concerns with Jalen Carter and how that might drop him a couple couple of spots early in the first round of the draft. And when, obviously, all of us fans out there heard this, we're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, we live and breathe this program, and we have not heard a peep about this. And so there are a lot of people, obviously, coming up, coming to his defense and uh, letting Tom McShay have it last week. But, uh, Curtis, again, let's go to the question here, man. Have you ever heard anything about character concerns with Jalen Carter? Am I missing something here? Honestly, no. I think the only thing that has ever been um, noticeable, uh, realistically, has been the scuffle before the game up at Missouri. Um, I mean, realistically, that's the only thing you've ever seen or heard about him involved in um, that was, like, less than ideal. I mean, you were hearing the reports that he was going to potentially sit out um, after his injury. But realistically, do I think that means he lacks character? Absolutely not. Um, so, Curtis, he, he, even, things, even if he was considering that, I don't care about thoughts. I care about actions. He didn't actually end exactly. up doing that. He didn't. And I think that that's why um, – and that's the thing. Like, the Missouri game, which I think – I mean, scuffles and things like that happen. I mean – people talk crap that's how it is I mean you see it all game every day um and then the fact that he considered it I mean outside of that I haven't heard of a single thing with him that would make me question his character I I've heard nothing man look I I live in Athens and I, I know some people around the program I don't I'm not an insider by any stretch of the imagination and I wouldn't know I wouldn't know necessarily if there's like some some talk going on behind the scenes that that the the public isn't privy to because like look people aren't going to tell me those things sometimes you hear things like that but i've never heard anything about Jalen carter like that again i'm not saying i would 100 know but i mean i do hear some things from time to time and i have never ever one time even heard like the slightest insinuation that there's something wrong with Jalen carter's character that he's a locker room cancer that he's a me first kind of guy i've never heard even like the slightest indication that there's anything to that. Like when I heard Tom McShay say that, like for, number one, I was outraged like everyone else out there because there's never been anything, Curtis. There's never been anything publicly. There's never been anything privately that, that I'm privy to. And I, again, I'm not privy to everything. All right. So I can't say there's hundred percent, like no chance that there's something going on behind the scenes because I, I don't hear everything. But when you see all of his, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of his teammates, Curtis come out last week on social media, having his back. Like, what does that tell you about who Jalen Carter really is behind the scenes? It told me a lot. And, you know, it wasn't just defense. If I remember, uh, Rylan Gody or however you want to say it came out in defense of him. And that's someone that's not even on the same side as the ball as him. And, you know, realistically, you know, what side of the ball you are is kind of like a brotherhood. And the fact that someone from the other side is coming to his defense shows that 
to me that he's thought highly of in the entire locker room. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess my, my thing with this more than anything is like, look, there has been, if, if we're going off what we know, all right, we don't know everything, but here's what we know. We know that you and I, and most fans out there, I would say almost every fan out there has never heard anything about Jalen Carter having character concerns behind the scenes. We've never heard any of that. All right. What we do know is that we do have evidence of him being a good teammate, right? Like you mentioned, this guy easily after the Missouri game, that cheap shot at his knee. And yes, that was a cheap shot. He easily could just opted out the rest of the season, right? Put a Jackson Smith in Jigba, right? Like where it was an injury, but the injuries heal, but you're like, you know what? It's not worth me coming back. It's not worth my time. I want to save myself the NFL. I don't want to risk any injury, which is exactly what Jackson Smith and Jigba has done. You know, and that's his right. Like I'm not killing Smith and Jigba for that, but that's his right. Jalen Carter easily could have done that and no one really would have really blamed him for it, right? But he didn't. He came back, fought through the injury and played his tail off for his team. Did not have to do that. All right. And came back and was there, that guy for us the rest of the season, where he dominated the rest of the season. It really kind of, I don't want to say changed the game first defensively, but he definitely gave us something that we did not have in his absence. And then I go back also, Curtis, to his first two years here in Athens. Jalen Carter, very feasibly, Curtis, I'm not, I'm not predicting it right now. We'll see how it all plays out. But he feasibly could be the very first pick in the NFL draft. Like it's not a stretch to think that George could have the number one pick in the draft two consecutive years. And if this is a player that is that good, where we're talking like potential number one overall draft pick type stuff, he did not start his freshman or his sophomore years. He was a dude that came off the bench. Yes, he still played a lot, but he was still playing behind Devontae White. He was still playing behind Jordan Davis. And a guy that's a locker room cancer, a guy that's not a team guy, a guy that's a me first kind of guy, would have been a diva about that and would have been a problem in the locker room to the point that we probably would have heard about that. Is that fair to say, Kurt? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and not only that, but the, like he stuck around in the world we're living in. That's not a common thing. Oh, yeah. Like if you're Jalen Carter after year one, and I know he's a freshman, but you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm a stud. I'm a monster. And you know, everybody with the, with the advent of the transfer portal, everybody's sitting there telling you how great you are. And you're like, and here Georgia is saying, look, man, we know you're awesome. We know you're great, but we're, we're still going to have you coming off the bench here. In the world we live in today, you're exactly right, Curtis. I would say the vast majority of your players with that profile and, and that, that are that caliber of player and are facing that situation will probably transfer out somewhere where they could be the guy and put up those numbers. Well, Jalen didn't do that. So to me, that tells you all you need to know about his character. And then, I mean, this is beyond, like, we shouldn't even have to go here, Curtis, but this is a guy that spent some NIL money during the summer putting on camps for, for um, you know, kids back home where he's from that might not have all the opportunities that other players might, other players around the country might have. He's doing that with his mom, taking time out of his day, using some of his NIL money to give back. So, again, I go back to this. Look, I can't sit here and say with 100% certainty there's not something going on behind the scenes because I'm not privy to everything. All I can tell you is that, number one, I have never one time as somebody who has a Georgia podcast, who lives in Athens, Georgia, who knows people around the program, I have never one time heard anything remotely negative about Jalen Carter's character. And then on top of that, we have all this other evidence suggesting the opposite, that there are actually no character concerns. There's plenty of evidence of him being a good teammate, having a high degree of character. But Thomas Shea comes on there and is just blabbing, 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 you know, uh, very vaguely about some strange character concerns that might drop him a little bit there, Curtis. So here's where I want to go to your expertise as a lawyer, because I'm certainly not an expert in this realm. But 
Is there any potential legal recourse here for Jalen Carter if you wanted to go that route? Um, the biggest problem is knowing because it depends what they go after. If he went after him for defamation, you know, there's a bunch of things you have to prove. And one of the biggest and hardest things to prove would be is the information that was published demonstrably, demonstrably false. And that would be the hardest thing to prove because then you'd have to prove that McShay knew that it was true to the or that the, there was no chance this was true. Now, if he was going off some information fed to him by someone, then, you know, it's going to be hard to prove that. Does actual malice I think that's come gonna be into the play biggest at all? problem with trying to prove this? It does, and I think that's going to be the the part the problem. Um, and the so hardest you thing have to, to prove, prove he was you know, a lot of these things are met. But you drop in the draft, and that's essentially exactly what we face, that, right? that there was no pretty much that you know there was no information that even led him to believe that was true. So even if Jalen, like, let's say this causes, I mean, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it's just some BS that we never hear another word about because there's been a firestorm about it this week. So we'll see what happens. But like, even if it some way, somehow, God forbid, causes Jalen to drop in the draft and Jalen can find, like, he can talk to NFL draft guys, he can talk to front office personnel and say, oh, yeah, the reason we didn't select you is because you, because of all these these concerns about your character that we were hearing in the pre-draft process. So if he can prove that he dropped because of that, does that give him a leg to stand on? Or does he have to go back and say Todd McShay had to know what he was saying was not was untrue? I believe it's a yes and no what he was saying was untrue. Kind of like you saw this um, a couple months ago with the whole Freddie Freeman saga over his agent and right. the agent was trying to sue him. Um, and it's kind of a very similar thing. Now, the guy did end up retracting it, but I think that was, was more Gottlieb, just a, a CYA right? incident. I think it was. I can't yeah, remember. I think it was. I'm not positive, but the, the fact was, like, I think it was still would have been hard to prove. But the fact is, why take a chance? Because you yeah, never want to put something in a jury's hands, realistically. Yeah, and everything you're saying is kind of what I thought. I just didn't know if that was 100% accurate, so I'm, I'm glad you kind of cleared the air on that. And look, Jay, like honestly, I don't think it's worth Jalen pursuing it because all it does is keep your name in the media, right? And it keeps that it keeps that narrative going on, right? So it's probably just best for him to like sit back as hard as it is and stay quiet and let your teammates and let your coaching staff do the talking for you, kind of what we've seen this past week in the fan base of the talking for you. But I know that has to be difficult. But yeah, I mean – I'm like every fan out there, Curtis. I I know you probably are too. I'm just outraged by that, man. Like it just like boils, boils my blood to hear Tom McShay just like, just so carelessly and recklessly throw those those accusations out there and just without any evidence whatsoever, just say, oh yeah, like there's some like big character concerns. Like, uh, all right, man, if you're going to put that out there, you better, you better bring the goods. Like you better have something to back that stuff up. And he clearly did not. But, um, all right, man. So I know the, that that was something we uh, had to talk about. I know it's not recruiting based. We got a ton of questions about that, so we wanted to make sure to cover that for all the people out there who were who were looking to get our thoughts on that one. But it is all recruiting from here on out. Once we get back from the break, but now is a great time for me to tell all of you guys about my bookie's latest promotion. The holiday season is upon us, guys. Don't look now; it's just around the corner. And my bookie, hey guys, they are in the giving spirit. With 12 straight days of giveaways. They did this last year. I was blown away by this. This was awesome for me as a, as a MyBookie customer myself. And it's going to be awesome for you because they are bringing it back this season. From odds boost to casino chips to straight up locks. 
my bookie's 12 days of giveaways is guys i'm telling you it's a can't miss promotion the entire purpose of this promotion is to just give you cash guys like they're trying to make it as easy as possible for you guys to add to those winnings starting december 21st so wednesday signing day speaking of recruiting and ending on january 1st you can bring in the new year right with giveaways that really all they're going to do is stock you with cash this season. All you have to do if you haven't already jumped in on the action is sign up at mybookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA. And on top of the, the great 12 days of giveaways, you still get the the straight cash bonus up to $200 to match that first deposit. Again, that's promo code UGA to claim this brand new deposit bonus designed for betters looking to cash in and cash out real quick this holiday season. So guys, now's the time. Experience sports in a whole new light. We know you love love watching sports, but when you have a little, a little cash on it, have, when the stakes are a little higher, you get to experience in a whole new light. It's time to make this a winning season. So let's do it now, guys. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, it's time, man. Let's turn the page to recruiting. Our first recruiting-specific question comes from Matthews. This is a great question. In fact, this is huge news, potentially huge news for Georgia. It's huge news in the world of college football, but maybe huge news for our Georgia Bulldogs. And Matthew is asking about quarterback Dylan Rayola, who is the number one overall prospect in the 2024 recruiting class, the, the consensus number one overall recruiting prospect. He just recently decommitted from Ohio State. So Matthew asks, with Dylan Rayola decommitting from Ohio State this weekend, does Kirby go after him? If so, what are our chances to land him? Curtis, this is big news, man. What's your take on this? You know, it's a sticky situation, but I feel like you have to go after the kid. Um, I mean, Tim, you know, you hate using the thing generational talent or anything of that nature. But the fact is, the kid is an absolute stud. I think he's, you know, you and I were talking about it. He's better than uh, Arch Manning in this class, and everyone considers oh, yes. him generational talent. And I consider him a better quarterback than him. Um, and we finished number two by all accounts to Ohio State. So I think the biggest thing is, if we finish number two, and I think right now it's going to be like a, th- a three-way race. I think you have to keep Ohio State in there just because of the fact he was committed to them for a while. And, and to me, it's Ohio State, Nebraska, and Georgia. And Curtis, real quick, sorry to cut you off here, man, but there might be some people out there listening that may not follow recruiting as closely as you and I do. Explain to everyone out there why Nebraska 
would because that that seems kind of odd. Like Georgia, Ohio State, okay, we get that, but Nebraska. So explain to people why Nebraska's in that conversation um, for him. So I know his 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 father played there. I think someone yes. I read that he was an All American there. Either way, yes. I know his dad played at Nebraska, and his uncle is currently. I wanted to say the offensive line coach at Nebraska. Yeah, there, there's, there's the family connection is a big deal there. Um, and then of course Scott Frost is out. You bring in, yeah. you bring in Matt Rule, who has, I mean, he, he's not, a, he's not a quarterback guy himself, but he at least has the, uh, the resume of being in the NFL. Has had, a, had a really good college career where he's been done a good job building up programs. Nebraska has a, I know people might not believe this when it comes to Nebraska, but there's a lot of NIL money there because um, they're all in. It's like Nebraska football is what they do in Nebraska. So there's that as well. So I know Nebraska seems kind of out of place. You think George, Ohio State, you think about this number one overall player in the 2024 class. Like, why is Nebraska involved with this? That's why. And I, I think Nebraska is a big time player here. Um, do you, but so, Curtis, it sounds like you would go after him. Um, you use the word generational talent. I know that you're right. Like, that's a word um, that I think sometimes it's thrown around too loosely. But I think it actually fits here if you watch this guy's tape and you listen to people that know yeah, about these absolutely. things talk about him. Like he he fits the profile of generational type quarterback talent. So it sounds like you it's a no brainer, right? You go after him. But there's also this little guy named Ryan Puglisi who's already currently committed to us, who's a really good player in his own right out of Connecticut that we went after and he was basically our top target after Rayola committed to Ohio State because he came down here, he worked out for our, our staff. He wasn't a super highly rated guy, but he worked out for our staff in person here in Athens and our, our staff was sold. Like immediately he like shut up the, our, our board, like our number one quarterback option. And we went after him. We landed him. He's currently committed curse. He's moved up the quarterback rankings. Now I think he's now a four-star prospect, not as highly rated as Rayola, but still a, a guy that our coaches have clearly feels very strongly about. So, Knowing that we already had this one guy committed, Curtis, do you now re- really go after Rayola after the fact? It's hard to say no because, I mean, the fact is, as much as we love Pagolsi or however you say it, the fact is it all kind of started after Rayola had committed to Ohio State. Rayola made this move uh, when we were deep in the Arch Manning sweepstakes because I believe that we kind of put him on the back burner to a degree um, while we were focusing on Arch. Um, and so that's when we started to, you know, after that, we moved on to Saiyan and other people, and that's when we kind of started to look at it differently and look at our quarterback charts differently. And the fact is, I believe that, I mean, you know, it's a dangerous game to play, but it's one of those where you can be honest with the kid at the same time and take your shot, see if it goes anywhere. And if not, you know, it's, it's very sticky, but I feel like if you have a chance to get someone like that, you don't say no. That's exactly where I am, Curtis, 100%, man. Um, look. He is that type player, man. Like, he's the real deal. He is, like, if you want to use the, the term generational, let's use it here. I think it applies. He is that generational, potentially generational type t- talent at quarterback. And I'm with you, man. He's the type of player that you just can't afford to say thanks but no thanks to. Because, I, honestly, I think that's coaching malpractice. Like, if you just put up a brick wall and, you, and, and let's say this guy is interested and he's like, hey, man, I want you to re- recruit me again. Like, I, I, you were high up on my list. And you, you, like, just put your hand and be like, nah, man, we're good. we got Ryan Puglisi. That's kind of coaching malpractice. I think you have to spin the tires here, man. Um, but saying that, it, it does, as we were talking about, it, it does kind of require a very delicate balancing act here because the, here's the issue. it's If you go hard after Rayola, which I think that we should, if you do that, you certainly risk alienating Ryan Pluglisi, the guy that you currently have committed at that position in the process. Now, maybe you're okay with that, but you got to make sure you land the guy, right? Because because if you alienate Pluglisi in the process, and let's say you drive Pluglisi to reopen his commitment, or at least, I don't know, start looking around and like considering 
maybe decommitting and looking at other options. And then if that happens and you don't end up landing Rayola the second time around, now you're going to be without either of your top two options in 2024, which is a year curse that I'm of the opinion that we have to have a top level quarterback. Because if you look at a curse, there's almost a 100% chance. Like, I'm not going to entertain any other thought here. Like, there's basically a 100% chance that one of the three quarterbacks in our quarterback room right now, whether it's Beck, whether it's Vandegrift, whether it's Stockton, at least one of those guys is going to transfer after. The quarterback battle is decided going into next season, and I think there's a fairly high chance that two of the three transfer, depending on who wins that job. Let's say, I mean, I don't know who's going to win. Like, we'll see how it plays out. Beck's clearly the leader in the clubhouse. But let's say that Gunnar Stock, who I've heard a lot of good things about running the scout team this year. I mean, I'm not saying it's the same things I heard about Stetson back in 2017, but you hear a lot of really good things about him running the scout team and how, how he's developing and how he's kind of growing in as a leader, as a quarterback, and learning the system. Let's say, you know, maybe he wins this job in, in the offseason, right? Well, if, if that happens, I think both Beck and Vandegrift are gone, like clearly. In that case, you got one scholarship quarterback. So maybe, maybe we need to take two quarterbacks. But the problem is, you know, it's really hard to get two highly rated quarterbacks like Rayola and Puglisi to a lesser degree, but still two highly rated quarterbacks who have options who are willing to come in in the same class. That's that's tricky. Like you can get two quarterbacks in the same class. You usually have like one like really high level guy and then one guy is not like more of a developmental type guy that doesn't mind coming in with with other highly rated guy because like you're one of his best options and if you're willing to give him a scholarship, he comes. Getting two highly rated guys like that, that's 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 a tougher sell. So maybe we can take both, but I don't know. But again, I just go back to it, like it's I'll, I'll use the phrase again. It's coaching malpractice if you do not spin the tires here and go after this guy especially if he is still interested in Georgia, which he clearly was. Like we were the we were the runner-up by all accounts to Ohio State. And then, you know, when he picks Ohio State, we kind of go all on the arch. And then that thing, you know, we didn't land him. We were the, we were the runner-up there again. Um, and then we go to Puglisi. But if he's willing to listen to us and, like, he wants to actually be re-recruited by us, then, yeah, I, I think you absolutely 100% have to. And you have to run the risk. I mean, hopefully we can handle it well with Puglisi, but I think you have to go after him and give it your best shot. But Curtis, let's go back to this question, get to the the second part, which I think is probably the more important part of this question. If we do indeed decide to go after Dylan Rayola once again, what are our chances to actually do that and make that a reality? All right. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm looking through through some red and black glasses, but I want to say 50-50. And the reason I say that is... We finished second to him the first time. Now, there's no guarantee that means it's going to work out for us this time. But when you think of the big people that have been mentioned, USC is one, and they just took a top quarterback in Malachi Nelson. Um, and then you look at Georgia, where we didn't take anyone in this last class after we missed out on Arch. So we have true class separation for him to come in, and there's a potential for him to either sit one year or kind of maybe be ready to take it. You just don't know. And then you have Nebraska with the family ties, and they're trying to rebuild so that he could be a big piece of that. And so I think if I had to be honest, I think it's going to come down. I mean, people have mentioned Arizona State and some of these other schools, but they're just not up to the level of – what Georgia is and where we are right now on our trajectory. So I want to say it's between us and Nebraska, if I had to be honest. I mean, you may give Nebraska a slight edge, but the fact is I think it, I, th- I 50 is a fair thing. Yeah, I, I think you're actually spot on here, Curtis. I think the class separation thing is a big deal. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not ready to declare us the outright leader right now. Uh, I know some some outlets out there are kind of reporting that. I'm not ready to quite go there yet, but I will at the very least say that I certainly think that 
you have to think that we are among a very, very small select group of schools at the top of his list. And I, I go, the reason I say that, kind of as you were alluding to, Curtis, number one, we, by all accounts, finished as the runner-up to Ohio State the first time around. And maybe Ohio State's still in this thing. His dad says, like, everyone, they're open to everyone. It's kind of a reset kind of thing. But the, at the end of the day, what what matters about finishing number two the first time up, like, you don't get, like, extra points for that. But what that means is like, we have a built-in relationship with him, Curtis, right? Like, there's something about our program that he really liked the first time around. Because this is a guy from Arizona. You mentioned Arizona State being in the conversation. The reason Arizona State would be in the conversation is because he's from Arizona. So if this is a dude from Arizona and he's really interested in Georgia to the point that for a while we were thought of as the leader for him and then we ended up finishing second, there's clearly something he liked the first time around. And then on top of that, we did just put Stetson Bennett in New York. No, he did not win it, but he was in New York for the high school trophy ceremony. And if you're dealing Rayola, you look at that and you say, wow, okay, Stetson's a great quarterback for Georgia, but like physically speaking, I'm more talented than he is from a physical standpoint. So if they were able to do that with, with, with Stetson Bennett and they were able to develop him the way that they developed this guy. And as I've said, Chris, I think Stetson Bennett might be the greatest developmental story in the history of college football, at least my lifetime. If we were able to do that with, with Stetson Bennett, what can they do with a guy of my physical profile and my physical gifts and talents? You mentioned the class separation, all of that, Curtis, the fact that we're consistently competing for national championships, and that does not look like it's changing anytime soon. I think we are not just in the picture. I think we are, are like in the forefront of this picture. I, I'm with you. I think it's us in Nebraska. Maybe you give Nebraska the edge right now because of the family ties. That's hard to shake sometimes. But if you're looking for a program, I, I know 2024 is a, a year or so away, but like if you're looking for a program that is equipped to, number one, compete for titles, if that matters to you, which you have to think it does. Number two, develop me for the NFL draft, which, I mean, you got to think that matters. Like, what else matters to this kid, right? So you got titles, winning winning, winning championships, being developed for the NFL draft, what we're doing at a high rate right now. And then you also have NIL. I mean, sure, NIL is going to be a factor as well. Nebraska's well-positioned there, but like we, we can hold our own there too. I don't know what's not to like here, especially considering that he did like something clearly their first time around. So I think that we are – I say it's 50 50 Chris, and that, that's probably the best way to put it. It's probably a fair way to, to, to sum it up, but we are very much in this picture. And I think it's just going to, it's going to come down to like how, how hard are we going to go after this guy? Like, are we, are, are, is, is our staff seeing this the same way we are Chris? Or it's like, he's just too good to not take your swing with, you know, and uh, we'll see. That's certainly something to watch here very closely. And it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be, you know, I don't think this is all going to be determined in the next week or so with, with signing period, but it's certainly, you know, these quarterbacks tend to commit earlier than other players. You want to build your class around them. So I would say in the next two to three months, be looking for a decision here. There's probably going to be some traction at some point. So let's be watching this one very, very closely. All right, Curtis, let's keep this thing moving on, Kurt. And this is something you and I have actually kind of discussed a little bit off the air at different times. And I'm curious to get your actual thoughts here on the show, and this comes from Falcons Hate Account. What a username. Love it, man. Uh, Falcons, yeah, Desmond Ritter did not look good in his, in his debut start, but we'll, we'll we'll save that one for another day. But Falcons Hate Account, Curtis, is asking about Del McGee, and he gets straight to the point. He just asked, is Del McGee overrated? Our running backs have underperformed compared to expectations, and he's falling short in running back recruiting. Again, Curtis, you and I have had some like informal conversations at times off the air about Del McGee and then how he's viewed as a recruiter. Uh, but um, let's just put it out there for everyone to hear. Like, what is your take on Del McGee? Is he, because is he as an overrated recruiter? So people view him as one of the top recruiters in the country. Is he really that in reality? 
I think Del McGee is a good recruiter, but I think lately I've been questioning his judgment and the decision making. I think is the biggest thing um, because, like, I mean, he has helped with getting other guys, not just running backs. But I think what's hurt us is the last couple of classes is uh, who he's focused on and who he's like kind of slide through the cracks. Specifically for me, like what's I don't, I don't want to say it's unforgivable. Like that that's just being dramatic, but. What I have a hard time getting over, this, the class I have a hard time getting past curves is the 2020 class, where, like, we signed a good class. Like, you signed Kendall Milton, who's a top, a borderline top 50 guy, who's number 54 nationally. And you signed Dejan Edwards, who's a, who a, a lower four star guy, but, you know, uh, I think he was, a, he was a top 300 guy. I think he was like number 279, something like that. Okay. So we land those two guys. You know, both those guys have been like kind of productive for us. Dejan's been a really nice surprise for a lot of people this year, but it's not necessarily who we landed, Curse. It's who we, did not land in that class. So if you guys remember, 2020 was the Zach Evans class. And I think I mentioned this on the show before. We went uh, we went all in after Zach Evans. And for a while there, it looked like it was going to be Zach Evans and Kendall Milton. In fact, we had Zach Evans on the commit list, right, Curtis? Well, we don't want to rehash all that. We all know how that ended up transpiring. It blew up at the end there. He got more arguments, more drama with his coaching staff. And finally, we just said, you know what? Uh, this is a little too much for us. Like, we're just going to have to back off. And we um, and we pulled a scholarship. We said, you have to go somewhere else, Right. And, you know, based off some of the things that he was doing, you know, with, with, with his high school team and what was going on, some of, some of those issues, that was the right decision, I, I think. I think parting ways at that point was the right decision. What I have an issue with, Curtis, is everything leading up to the decision to take him, right? Because what happened with Zach Evans at the end of that cycle with his coaching staff, like basically getting suspended for the, nat- for the rest of the state championship game and the playoff run and that whole deal – that was not something that came out of the blue. That was not a new thing for Zach Evans. Zach Evans had that kind of thing in his background pretty much his entire high school career. Everyone knew when you recruit Zach Evans, there are, and we're talking about character concerns with Jalen Carter. These were legitimate character concerns where you actually had evidence of like there being some r- real hardcore character concerns that have caused him to be suspended and be, and be at odds with his coaching staff a couple different times. But we look past those red flags and took him anyway because of the talent and the talent is is immense there. And we said, all right, you know, we can fix this guy, get him in here with our with our program, with our culture, and we can get this guy on the straight and narrow, right? We took a risk there. Obviously, that backfired on us because what happened when we chose to to ignore all of those red flags with Zach Evans? We turned away two guys that turned out to be really, really, really good college level running backs. And Tank Bigsby, who who was a Georgia kid out of Callaway. Wanted to come here, was ready to come to Georgia, and we said, "No, nah, we've got Kendall Milton. We're good with him, and we're gonna and we, we, we like where we sit with Zach Evans. So we're gonna hold off, and uh, he's hiring our boards. So we're gonna go with him." And so that drove Tank Bigsby to go to Auburn. Jameer Gibbs, another guy who now, who was not as highly rated for most of that cycle. He was a late riser in that cycle, so you kind of give him a little bit of a pass there. But at the end of the cycle, this guy was really coming on, and we basically told him, "Thanks, but no thanks. We're good." He goes to Georgia Tech, right? Well, Curtis Zach Evans went to TCU. I know there's a coaching change there, left TCU, and now is the second option at Ole Miss this past year. Quinshaw Juckins, a true freshman, was their top option at, at running back. I know that Evans dealt with some injuries, but we saw in retrospect what Gibbs turned into and what Tank Bigsby turned into, and we could have had both of those guys potentially curse. And what we got left with was Kendall Milton and Dejan Edwards. This is not a shot at those guys. Those guys have been good, productive backs for us. But have either one of those guys, Curtis, been as – prolific as Tank Bigsby or Jameer Gibbs? They haven't. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I mean, any of those guys mashed up with Kendall Milton would have been a big difference and would have been more of what we were looking at with the Thunder and Lightning. 
Yeah. And look, Dejan has been good for us. It's been a really nice surprise, but as good as Dejan has been for us this year and as valuable as he's been, he's not Tank Bigsby. I mean, he's just not. He's not He's not Jameer Gibbs. He's not. And I mean, and Kendall's been like, he, and Kendall's, it's not fair to Kendall. He's been banged up. He hasn't been 100% like in years, it seems like. It seems like he's getting closer and closer to that. But even like through the first couple of years, Curtis, I mean, Kendall Milton hasn't been Tank Bigsby or Jameer Gibbs. You know, so like we just dropped the ball in that class entirely. And I, I don't want to put all of that on Del McGee because he doesn't recruit the running back position in a vacuum. He doesn't make all those decisions by himself. Now, does he have more say than anyone else? Yeah, that's usually how that works. But, you know, the offensive staff signs on, the head coach signs off and all this stuff. So it's not just him. But the fact is he's the running back coach, and he's the one that's got primary responsibility when, at the end of the day for the running back room and the recruitment of that position. So I'm totally with you, dude. Like, that's where things started to go off the off the rails a little bit. And you look at 2020. Like, of course, I went back and looked at, like, going back to 2017, okay, trying to figure out, okay, what were people talking about with, with, with Del McGee? Like, has he been, like, overrated? So here's what I got, Curtis. Okay, so in 2017, we signed DeAndre Swift out of Philadelphia, the number 33 overall prospect in the country, five-star guy. Big-time get, right? It's a huge get. So Del McGee, early on in his tenure here in, in Athens, like, that's 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 a huge check mark in his box, right? And then you follow up in 2018, you get Zamir White, who was uh, – Number nine overall, a top 10 player nationally as a five-star prospect. James Cook, number 41, who wasn't quite a five-star, but a very, very high four-star prospect. That's two cycles in a row there, Curtis. You're like, damn, man. Like, yeah, like, do your thing, Dell. Like, like he's doing the work there. But then in 2019, we only, we only signed one guy. We signed Kenny McIntosh. He was a, a good, solid four-star guy, number 187 nationally. But, Kurt, remember, that was the class. And I just kind of got skewed a little because of COVID. But Trey Sanders, remember that? I know Trey Sanders did not end up being anything in Alabama because he had a horrible car accident. And he was never the same after that. But Trey Sanders was the was a top 10 prospect in 2019. We thought we had him on signing day. Remember that, Curtis? I do. That we, was a big thing. We thought we had got him. Yeah, we thought we had him. And then he ends up going to Bama on signing day, and people were pissed off. And there were accusations that he lied to our coaching staff. He told us the night before he was coming to Athens. And he ends up going back on his word and goes to Alabama. Whatever the, the reason, we missed him. Also in that class, another five-star guy, John Emery from Louisiana. We we were with we were in it with him for a while. Of course, in fact, I can't remember. It's so was, long ago. He was he was committed to he us. He was committed, until, right? Yeah, until you you know things happened. But the fact was, we had him. Yeah, we had John Emery, and he goes to LSU. I know he hasn't ever been like that elite five-star guy. I know him or Sanders, like in terms of production on the field, but he was that caliber guy. And we went after him, and we had him committed. And he ends up going to LSU. He was he was a Louisiana kid, always a tough get anyway. But we miss on him. We miss on Sanders, and we 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 get Kenny McIntosh, who's been a really good running back for us this year. I mean, Kenny's been awesome for us, but. You know, we, we did not – bottom line is we didn't land our top targets in that class. And we – it's hard to say you settled for Kenny McIntosh, but in a way we, we kind of did. We had to go down our board a little bit. And then we talked about 2020. You go 2021, Curtis. We signed Lavoisier Carroll, who never even played running back for us. He moved to DB when he got here because we had some DB issues. And that class, we missed on Will Shipley. We recruited him heavily is out of North Carolina. Ends up going to Clemson. We missed on Donovan Edwards, Curtis, who is now at Michigan. Like – here he was another guy, a tough get because he's he's from that area, right? He's from up north in Michigan. But we thought for a while, like, I think we're gonna get this guy. We're gonna get this guy. And and you gotta give Del Mickey credit. Like, there's something to be said for being in the picture for these top guys that are from outside of our region. Like he's doing a good enough job to be in the picture with these guys, but we didn't land him. Didn't land Shipley, didn't land Edwards, didn't land Trey Sanders, didn't land John Emery. We land Lavassier Carroll at IMG, who was a solid recruit, but again. Wasn't that level type guy. We missed on our top targets there. Then 2022, and I will say last year, 
we hit on Branson Robinson. Like he was our top target, number 62 overall. Um, Andrew Paul, late in the cycle, had things to be a good player for us towards ACL, but number 522 overall. But we hit on our top target with Branson Robinson. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, kill Dell over that. Like that was our guy, and we got him. Gotta give him credit there. But this cycle, again, Curtis, is another issue. So in 2023, Justice Haynes in our backyard, right? Miss on him. He's a legacy. And not only a legacy, but his dad is is enshrined in Georgia history, one of the all-time iconic plays in Georgia history. And he's going to Alabama, at, right out of our backyard. You, we miss on Ruben Owens, uh, miss on Richard Young. Actually, Alabama is getting both Haynes and Young, and those are two of our top targets, and we miss on both of those guys. Now, we did land Roger Robinson out of California, who I think is underrated. I think he's going to be a really, really, really good running back for us. Um, but number two hundred four nationally. But the bottom line is, like, he was a backup option. Like, he's a guy that we had. We had to, we had to kind of turn and reassess. And say, okay, we missed on our top guys. Who's up next? And we end up landing Roger Robinson, who's a really good player. And you got to give Dell credit for going to California, getting a guy. But again, missing on our top target. So if, when you put all those numbers together, Curtis, here's what I've got: Dell McGee um, has signed two five stars in seven cycles. Okay, two five star running backs in seven cycles have not signed a five star since the 2018 class. That means we've gone five consecutive classes signing good players, but not five star prospects. There have been a lot of swings and misses with our top targets, Curtis. Now, here's where you got to give him credit. Like I said, he gets us into that top group, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. But here's my question, Curtis. Getting us into the top group with these these five star guys, these top targets. How much of that is Del McGee? And how much of that is the running back tradition at Georgia kind of just selling itself and getting our name in the door with these guys? I mean, really, when you think about it, the class so far that has made Dell was Zeus and uh, James Cook. And that was off the heels of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. So, I mean, I can't even sit here. I mean, I know he played an important role in that, but what those two did on the field and the records they set kind of sold Georgia for itself. You go back to Todd Gurley, Curtis. Go back. I mean, go, yeah. go back to. I mean, Garrison Hurst. I mean, we're running back. Herschel Walker. Like, we're well, running back. Well, no Sean Moreno, Curtis. The, the way the last 10 to 15 years, the way we use a stable of backs, you had Chubb and Michelle. You had, I mean, Keith Marshall and Todd. Like, you always had two guys. So it kind of made sense to continue the legacy. And that, the way that Sony and Nick ended it, it was like a no-brainer, for, especially, I mean, it helped with FSU going downhill because James Cook probably never would have gone anywhere else. Um, but the fact is, you know, that's the class that made him. But it was kind of riding the coattails of, the, the history of Georgia running backs before then. Yeah, I agree, man. Look, here's my final analysis on this. Del McGee is a good recruiter. I'm not sitting here saying he's a disaster. He's a good recruiter. He's done a good job. He's landed a lot of good running backs. But a big part of that, as you were just saying there, Curtis, is like he, he it's an easy sell. Like we have this tradition of running backs, and our offense is built around a strong downhill running game. This is, and we're competing for championships. This is an easy sell. And when you have that that ammunition there, you should be able to get in the door, these top guys. Um, but we've got to do a better job of landing them. So he's a good recruiter. He does a good job for us. I just don't think he's an elite recruiter. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost me. like the Mark Rick. Um, you know, how many times for, like with Mark Rick, one of the biggest things was we were always in it at the very end with some of these high guys, but we missed out. And get left holding the bag. That's what, that's what happens. And right now at running back, I hate to say it, but that's how it's starting to look going forward. Yeah, it really it is, man. Look, I'm not like freaking out about because we are getting good running backs. I'm not saying like we're we're not getting like you like. But the thing is, but we're, we're what we don't have are these game changers. We right. don't have the home right. run hitters, which is really uh, changing the way our offense has to go too. 
Yeah, I mean, Curtis, I mean, Tank Bigsby, game changer. Uh, in my in my opinion, Jameer Gibbs, game changer. Will Shipley, game changer. Donovan Edwards, game changer. Justice Haynes, it's probably gonna be a game changer. Richard Young, probably gonna be a game changer. We're, we're missing on these guys. Like we're getting good backs, but outside of Branson Robinson, we haven't really hit our top target since 2018. That's just fact. That's just reality. We have not hit on our top target since 2018. And he's again done a good job, and we we found good options. But a, a big part of that is again this what we have to sell is a very easy sell, and that gets us in the door. So. I don't know, man. I, I do think that we've had too many swings and misses here. You're exactly right. Hasn't been bad running back recruiting. He hasn't been like he hasn't been a bad recruiter. He just hasn't been elite. And, that, and that's the question. Like, is he overrated? I think if if the perception nationally is Del McGee's an elite recruiter, which I think that kind of is the perception, I don't think that's reality. You know, I think he's a really good recruiter. I just I don't think like recent history would tell us the evidence we have to work off of that he is a flat out elite recruiter. Good, but just not elite. You know. And we've got plenty of more recruiting questions to get to. But before we move any further, I do just want to quickly remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. Yes, the holiday season is it's here. Like we're a week away from Christmas. But if you are in the market for any last second Christmas shopping or hey, Hanukkah starts, I think tomorrow on Monday. If you're in the market for some Hanukkah shopping, if you have loved ones in your life that are diehard Georgia fans like you and I, Alumni Hall has got you covered, guys. All your last-second gifts, they've got everything you want. All the different brands you want, the different styles you want, whatever it is that you are in the market for, Alumni Hall is going to be your go-to shop. So make sure to stop by in-store today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center if you're up here in, in Bulldog Country in Athens. Or if you're not, you can just go online, go to alumnihall.com. They have all the stuff they've got in-store right there for you guys to select as well. So again, alumnihall.com or here in Athens, Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, Kurt, let's keep this train rolling here, man. I've got a question from Lance. Uh, Lance asks, who is our most important remaining target on the board in this class and what percentage chance would you give us of signing him, Kurt? So sign day here in a couple of days. Who is the biggest remaining target? I would say realistic target on our board, Curtis. Um, to me, in my opinion, I think there's no question it's Damon Wilson. And the reason I go that route is because, you know, as we we're talking about Dylan McGee, there's another person who has moved on that kind of who I view in the same way as recruiting um, in the way they've left that position group with how Dan Laney left the outside linebacker position group is we've got to get more guys on the more guys that can do these the pass rushing things in the outside linebacker position. So that's why I think Damon Wilson is such a huge target. 
Yeah, I would like to give the listeners a different name, but I'm trying to be honest here. And uh, I, I'm, that's exactly who I have in my notes here, Curtis. Damon Wilson is the guy. Look, we have a couple of, of big edge rushers already on this in this class. With I think Gabe, Gabriel Harris, I think he's going to be a stud that doesn't get as much love as I think he should. Um, same with Pimba, we got we got him on the commit list a couple of weeks ago. He was a five star guy out of IMG. But Damon Wilson, another player out of Florida, is another elite talent as an edge rusher, as an edge player. And as you said, Curtis, that room, which was once a strength for us defensively, it's like we, we don't have enough snaps for all these guys. We can't get all these guys on the field. When that that was the problem we had. To now is like we don't have any of those guys. Like we don't have anyone. Like we need playmakers in that position. And Damon Wilson is one of those guys. We need every potential elite edge player we can get. I think he fits that profile. Uh, six four two four number forty overall was was a five star prospect for most of the cycle. I think they just updated some of the rankings for some of these sides. I think he dropped number forty overall, but still he's a five star caliber player who can give us pass rush off the edge, can set the edge well, big, strong physical profile as well. So if we can get him along with Mpemba, along with Gabe Harris, I think that is one hell of a way to answer and address some of the issues that we've had at the outside linebacker position in, in terms of recruiting. So to me, that's the biggest need in this class, in my opinion. And if we can land that trio of guys, I think we've addressed that need about as well as you could possibly imagine addressing that need in one recruiting cycle. So yeah, Damon Wilson, for me, has got to be it there at the top of the list. All right, Curtis. Now, Brandon, in this next question, wants to know about some of the guys that are already currently committed. His question is, which currently committed recruit are you most excited about in the 2023 recruiting class? Mm, most exciting recruit. Like, who gets who gets you all hot and bothered? Who gets you really excited when you think about, man, this guy's going to be on our roster? CJ Allen. Okay. All right. I have – I okay, I have a similar answer. Wait, right? wait. So, you know, may, wait, so, is it – or is it Raylan? It's the one that has the incredible speed. I'm sorry. That's yeah. It's, uh, Honestly, it's, it's one of the three linebackers. I am, I am yeah, in love yeah. with all three of our linebackers, whether it's with Troy Bowles, whether it's Raylan Willis, whether it's CJ Allen. I love, like, I don't know if there's a better, I don't think there's a better inside linebacking recruiting class in the country. Like, these guys are all studs. And it's hard yeah. to separate. Honestly, watching all three of those guys, Chris, I've gone back and forth since the summer. Like, who do I like more? At one point, I thought it was Bowles, and then I thought it was CJ Allen, and then that's Raylan Wilson. I go back and forth. I right now, like my guy right now, Curtis, I'm on Raylan Wilson. Like seeing some of his his senior stuff and what he did this year, um, in terms of like because he was kind of a smaller guy. Like he's put on good weight. He's at the weight room, Curtis. He's always had that athleticism, that speed. He's the guy right now that I'm most most excited about. Is it, so is it Wilson for you or is it CJ Allen? CJ Allen's awesome too. I think I'm just gonna go with CJ Allen to do something different. And, I, and the reason either way that I'm sticking with the inside linebackers is you know we have some good play right now. Um, but we have two I really think, good players inside linebacker. There's a little bit of a drop off for the guys that play after them. Well, not only that, but like pop is not the best when it comes to being the spy. Some of these things we ask him to do, he does it. And, you know, he does it admirably, but we don't, we, you know, we don't have what we had before. When you look at the athletic ability of um, the Kobe or Quay, like those guys didn't have to come yeah. realistically didn't have to come off the field at all. And they were still, game changers yeah pop is more in the vein of like monty rice which and that's not an insult guys monty rice is is starting the nfl right now okay like he just let us even tackles last week so monty rice was awesome for us but pop is more of that type linebacker uh he's he's more athletic than, than monty was but he's more in the vein of that than he is like nakobe or quay right is that what you're, basically what you're saying exactly i think these are the guys that can stay on the field at all times and still play at a high level Right, I, I totally agree. And I, honestly, of course, I think I think all three of these guys that we got in this class, inside linebacker, are those kind of guys. But I think Raylan Wilson. The reason I'm going with him is I think he of in a trio of linebackers that are all super athletic and talented. 
I think he's probably the most physically gifted and athletic. He's 6'2", 213, he's number 39 overall. He's he's continually risen up the rankings. He was originally committed to Michigan. We were able to flip him uh, back late early summer, late spring-ish, sometime around there. But when you watch this guy play, man, especially some of the tape you're seeing now, he does so many things so well, man. Like, yes, he is an elite athlete. Every bit of that. He is an elite athlete. He can chase down plays, as you imagine. He's an eraser. Um, he, but he also fills extremely well like he'll, he'll attack in the hole which sometimes you don't see from the high school level um he, he takes on can shed blockers he's very instinctual he flows over the top well he, he is just a really good like polished linebacker for this stage in his career along with being an incredibly talented athlete so Raylan Wilson's got to be the answer for me but like if you said CJ Allen I'm not going to argue with because I'm really excited about him if you said Troy Bowles I mean Bowles is the one I think he like in terms of like just like physicality, Bowles is that guy. I mean, he might be just a notch below Allen and, and Wilson athletically, but like he will light your ass up. I mean, Bowles is awesome. His dad, he's also a high profile, a high football IQ guy. His dad's obviously the coach for the Bucks there as, as the head coach in the NFL. So he's got that going for him. But I'm just excited about all three of those guys. If I had to pick one, I'm probably going Raylan Wilson. All right, Curse. a couple more questions here. We'll get out of here, man. Uh, next one, uh, this is from All CFB. He asked, are there any potential last-minute flips that we will turn our way? Got anybody you're looking at entering the, this uh, this week, Curtis, as we approach signing day? I mean, it's hard to know because people, you know, if you've been reading the tea leaves trying to claim they're in on some flips that we just don't know about. Um, but if I had to be honest, I just don't see any big flips like last year with Dalen Everett people like that, you're not really seeing any movement like that, especially as we head into the dead period Sunday night. I just don't see anything like that big happening. Yeah, I wish I had something different to say. Be like, no, nah, man, you're wrong. We're going to flip this guy. But honestly, I don't see him right now. But Kirby, is, like, he's usually good for a surprise flip or two down yeah. the stretch. But see, in my opinion, I think that we're using this the, the effort that we would have been on flips more on actually trying to be active in the portal this year. In a way that we weren't last year, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the big difference is instead of, you know, going with guys like Dalen Everett and some of those guys, that we're trying to go more at to what can we get some with some immediate impact guys. Yeah, getting a, a Dominic Lovett or a Rara Thomas, I mean, that's kind of – they're flips in their own right. Just I mean, you're yeah. flipping from another team, but they just have and they actual can, experience. And they can do something level. game one compared yeah. to, you know, other guys. Yeah, I mean, I should, I'm not sure who it would be right now from the high school ranks. Uh, I would have said Anthony Evans a month ago because there's been a lot of smoke around that. They like basically, from like the day after he committed to Oklahoma back in like the beginning of the season. But uh, we've already flipped him. That deal's already done. Um, up until this weekend, I would have said like we still have a shot at flipping Justice Haynes from Alabama at running back because he was at least still letting us recruit him. Like we were, we were there at Buford on campus and he was talking to us and we were scheduled to go in home with him, but then he shut all down late last week. So that doesn't seem like that's going to be an option. So I thought maybe there, but no. So outside of him and then Anthony Evans already getting that deal done, I just don't know who the names would be. Not saying that there can't be somebody out there that our coaches are recruiting behind the scenes. But right now, publicly, I just don't know who that guy or who are those guys would be. But good question. Uh, all right, Kurt, a couple more here. Uh, Wilkes asks, what percentage chance would you give us to land tight end Deuce Robinson and how does he compare to the other two tight ends that we already have committed in this class? Kurt, what's your take on that one? Um, I think we have, have good uh, a good chance. It's just hard to say because I just don't see – I mean, it, it's hard to fathom that you could get three highly rated tight ends. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just hard to imagine. And if right now, if there's any recruiter on the staff that was going to prove us wrong, in my opinion, right, it's Todd Hartley because yeah. he is an assassin right now when it comes to – his work and the recruiting. The man trail. does not miss Curtis. He no, does he, not miss. He doesn't. So, I mean, if anyone was going to go out there and pull something off like that, 
like that, it's him. Um, but I mean, and then who does he remind me of? Ooh, to me, he is a mixture of the two guys we have now, actually. Um, he can be the receiver that Pierce Berlin can be, but he has the body type more so of Lost and Lucky, where he's a little bit thicker and could put, do more in line. Um, he, he's more of just like a mix of b- both of those guys, in my opinion. Do you think he, it, let's say for argument's sake, we end up landing Deuce Robinson. How would you rank those three tight ends if we got, if we were able to land all of them? I would go Pierce Sperlin, um, Deuce Robinson, and then Lawson Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sperlin's really good. Cause I, I think, guy. I think Sperlin is more, um, kind of like how Brock Bowers was in the fact of, I think he's more advanced as a receiver that'll get him on the field. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe the the actual skill set there. That's that's certainly fair. I, yeah, man. So, what percent chance do I give it to Landis Robinson? You're right. It, it seems like it's a stretch because we already had these two top guys. You know, two guys in the, in the top 100. And it's like, okay, well, we're not we're not gonna like be able to get another one, right? Well, I mean, you you said it. Todd Hartley, like when he sets his sights on somebody, like he just tends to get them. So I don't know. It's hard to believe, but it seems like there's a lot of smoke there and he's certainly listening. He was, he's a big time baseball player too, but it seems like he's going to go the college football route. Um, I think we have a shot curse. I mean, I, we said 50, 50 earlier with Rayola. I kind of feel that way with Robinson. Like it's not a done deal, but I think that we have as good a shot just about anybody right now in landing him, especially consider what we're doing with, with obviously Bowers win the Mackey award um, and what Darnell was doing. Darnell might put himself in the first round this year. So we'll see what happens there. But I think he'd be crazy to not listen. I know you have two other guys, but if you believe in your talents and you see how many, how many guys we use that tight end position, like, why not? Like, why not come to Georgia? So it, it, let's say if we did land him, I actually would have Robinson at the top of the list. I think he is just a step ahead athletically than Sperlin and Lucky. Um, he's him and Sperlin are both six, six, like they're massive guys, six, six Robinson. They're basically the same size, six, six, two, 25, six, six, two, 20 Robinson. I think just moves a little bit better for my liking. Um, Sperlin does like, I know it, technically they're, they says they're the same size with, with their measurables, but he looks a little thicker to me than Robinson does. Lucky's the one's a little bit different. He's six, three, two twenty five, So he's more stacked and put together. He's a more physical guy than Robinson or Sperlin are. I think he, at least on his tape, he, there's more tape of him actually blocking. He does a good job of that. Um, but I, I really like Lawson Lucky too, girl. I mean, he's not quite as tall, maybe not as much as, like, he doesn't get as many opportunities to, to show what he can do in the past game as Sperlin and Robinson do. But I think he's a, a, a freaky athlete in his own right. I think he can do a lot of things that we need our tight ends to do in the blocking game. Um, but I would probably go, I don't know, man. I actually, I might go Robinson, Lucky, Sperlin. I think Lucky is more of a, of a, all around tight end than Sperlin right now, and I like Robinson's athleticism more than Sperlin. Yeah, like, I mean Sperlin kind of reminds me say that because they're all have, awesome. Sperlin can remind me of Delp, where Delp can come in in the passing stuff, and where they ha- their biggest thing of where they're going to have to grow is in line. Yeah, fair, absolutely. I think Robinson and Sperlin both would have some growth to do there in terms of, of in line blocking, as you mentioned, as we've seen with Oscar Delp some this year. But uh, I mean, if we can get all three of those guys, like, dude, that is, I mean, go ahead and just give Todd Hardy the Recruiter of the Year award, man, the Recruiter of a Lifetime award, because that's that is doing work if that happens. And, Chris, that actually brings us to our last question. I think I might actually know your answer based on how you responded to that question. But Alex has a question about who is the best recruiter on our staff. He says, other than Kirby Smart, who would you pick as the best recruiter currently on Georgia staff? Is it just Todd Hartley, Curtis, as simple as that? You know, I mean, I'm going to mix it up, and I'm going to go with uh, Drive because the fact is this guy is still – 
you know, young. And yet, if he does pull off Damon Wilson, he did a heck of a job replenishing the outside linebacker team group. Absolutely. That's a good call. Fran Brown also coming coming down yeah. from up north. I mean, I everyone raves about this guy. AJ Muschamp, Harris, the reason we got him is Fran Brown. And I got to say, Muschamp also, I believe, has to be in there. I mean, the guy is just. I mean, and what about Glenn Schumann? Because we were just raving a few minutes yeah, ago about this inside linebacker. Yeah, I mean, I think the, all, the whole defense inside the ball right now, realistically, when you look at it, um, each guy is doing a good job of replenishing what we're losing. I mean, three guys inside linebacker. If we get Wilson, that's three guys at outside linebacker. Like, they're both going above and beyond and doing what they need to do to keep us our stable stock. And Trey Scott's done an incredible job. You know, there was all of that consternation early in his tenure here. Like, oh, my God, Trey Scott can't recruit, can't let anybody. It was like, well, once he puts some guys in the NFL, that's changing. Get Barry Alexander. So we're going to get Jordan Hall this year. So uh, hopefully, knock on wood, it's another guy that you'll go going back. Like, Jamal Jarrett's a heck of a guy that people Yeah, Jamal Jarrett, North Carolina. That's another big one, Curtis. So, yeah, I mean, he's done a heck of a job. There's no weak link defensively in, in our recruiting. Like, now that we've got Uzo Deribe in there and we're kind of – Filling those needs outside linebacker. We had a couple down years there recruiting that position, but now I don't, there just doesn't seem to be a weakness there. All those guys are just flat out, as you said earlier, assassins on the trail, man. They really are. And offensively, we have a bunch of assassins too. We have a bunch of really good guys. I mean, McClendon, like we got Lance guys, a receiver. I think we've upgraded that room this year. And he's, he's an ace recruiter. He's going to do that. Just give him some time. Um, and like, if you call Del McGee a weakness, I mean, damn, like you got a hell of a staff if Del McGee is like your weakness recruiting because he's still yeah. a very good recruiter. Exactly. I think I'm going to go Ty Hartley, though, Curtis. Like, all those names I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Hartley, because I think you said it best earlier when you're like, when he finds someone, he doesn't miss that one. That's what, And that's what makes him so special. That's what it comes down to for me, man. The man never misses. When you are his target, he does not miss. Like, he just has not missed. He's got, like, every I mean, you single go, time you go back to his. You go back to his time at Miami. Um um, is it Brett Bell? Uh, I can't. Jordan. Yeah, I can't, Will Mallory. And Will, we were recruiting Will Mallory, and he ended up going to Miami. And Todd Harley was a big reason for that. Yeah, and then is it Brevin or I don't know how you say it, but Jordan, yeah, Brevin, the guy from Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his Vegas. last name? Jordan. I think it was Jordan. Brev, yeah, I think that's right, Brevin Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, say Brevin, like, that no, was that's a, a basketball player. That's not correct. But that was a that was when it re he really started to establish who he was because I believe that was his first. Thing. Yeah, he was a player personnel guy here when he was with Mark Rick here in Athens. I remember like with yeah. old dog night when I used to go up to dog night and just kind of like watch all the all the action going on. And he'd be up there, you know, in the latter years of the Mark Rick tenure, kind of just walking around. He wasn't a coach. He was like a player personnel recruiting guy. Like, he was like a recruiting coordinator type dude. And then he gets he goes to Miami with Rick, gets the on gets the on-field job, which was a great move for him because now he's here and he just doesn't freaking miss, man. Like as good as Schumann is, like he's missed on a guy here or there. Cause everybody does. Like everybody misses on yeah. you can't you can't bat a thousand, but like Todd Hartley does bat a thousand, which I just like, it's inexplicable. Now, like, granted, there's only you get one or two guys a year, but like when you are his guy in that class, he does not miss. He has not missed. He just hasn't. So I, I got to go him. Although we have a ton of other great recruiters, and it's hard to argue against those guys as well. But all right, guys, that's all we've got for you today here on our signing day preview mailbag edition of the Glory UGA podcast. A little bit of a different one for us. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Signing day is on Wednesday. At least that's when the early signing period opens. It's technically a period, but most of the guys that are going to sign early are going to sign on Wednesday. So we'll have you guys covered with a recap of all of that later on this week. And I'll also be back midweek with a preview of the Ohio State defense, of the Ohio State offense next week, and then we'll wrap things up by bringing that all together with a full-on Peach Bowl preview at the end of next week. So plenty of Peach Bowl talk coming, guys. I promise you we're going to go hot and heavy with that over the next week and a half, so be back for that. But thank you guys for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, 
Go Dawg!